Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we turn our attention to horror film Hereditary and hear from the writer-director Ari Aster. And as a bonus treat, we'll later be hearing from the one and only Rupert Everett who talks to us about his directorial debut and starring role in his Oscar Wilde biopic, The Happy Prince. I'm Sam Howlett and joining me this week are three co-hosts. First up, an overbearing matriarch who will no doubt haunt us from beyond the grave. It's Steph Watts. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and a troubled young man who's been decapitating birds all morning, Stephen Ryder. Hello. Hello. And making his pod debut, where we all walked into the studio on the floor, he scuttled across the ceiling and lingered <laughs> in the corner for an unsettling amount of time. From Trafalgar releasing, it's Ollie Charles. Hey there. Welcome, Ollie. Thank you very much for having me. So we're going to talk hereditary now. Uh, the film premiered at Sundance in January and very quickly word spread about how scary the film is and people are fainting and walking out. Uh, and the poster quote even says, you know, it's this generation's The Exorcist. So, guys, uh, what have you heard about the film before you saw it and how did it meet those expectations? Being compared to The Exorcist is a bit crazy, right? Like for your debut film. I think the publicity for the film has been very interesting in that regard, in that they've really been pushing this as not only a a really scary film that audiences should, should go see if they want to be scared, but something that kind of has a place at the top of the pantheon uh, already. And um, I'm not sure if that's a positive or negative thing, but mm-hmm. it's certainly creating the buzz that it needs for good box office. Um, but I mean, I mean, when when you guys walked into the film, were you aware of this kind of comparison? I think like uh, the only things I knew about the film, so I hadn't even watched the trailer. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the trailer was meant to be this like really scary trailer yeah. that was were causing people to, you know, get really excited about it. I hadn't even watched the trailer. I all I knew was Tony Collette at the top of her game. Yep. It was the scariest thing that I was ever going to watch. Yeah. Uh, which so many people like literally as I was walking into the screen, people who I know had seen it were saying, "Oh my god, you're going to find this too much." And I, yeah. I, mean, I love horror, but I was expecting to either watch the whole thing behind my hand or <laughs> myself <laughs> um, so I was really like I was really like this is this is going to be too much for me so when it premiered at Sundance it like immediately went and read some reviews yeah. all the reviews were so much like my heart was pounding scariest movie I've ever seen 
in my life type thing. I was like, yes, I'm ready. Um, and then obviously when I got into the cinema, I was just filled with anxiety. Like, yeah. am I sure I actually yeah. want to do this? Um, <laughs> it, it immediately starts with this kind of super slow, doom-laden kind Tension. of camera tilt. And uh, you really want the movie to start hurrying up yeah. in a way because it's almost too much tension immediately. Yeah. But uh, it, it never really, I think, gets out of that mode which I, until like the kind of crescendo at the end. But mm. um, it's got this amazing like tone to it and rhythm that, that really pulls you along and warns you at the same time. So. Yeah, I think the tension is so great. Well, with a lot of horror films that I've been to see in the cinema, you have that tension and then you have a jump scare and kind of everybody jumps and screams and then like has a good laugh because it's released the tension because you've like had the jump. But with this, there's like hardly any jump scares. It's just tension, tension, tension. Mm -hmm. Just like the screw tightening for two hours. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite intense. Yeah, no catharsis no. or anything. Uh, so the film is about uh, the Graham family who, after the death of their secretive monarch, begin to experience strange occurrences that lead them to uncover sinister secrets about their ancestry. That's a pretty vague plot. Uh, it's pretty much the plot of maybe fifty percent of all horror films. <laughs> so, so that's and I think that's all you should know going in. We were talking before we started recording about what what should we say, and we think we all agreed. You know, the less plot specific we get, the better, because this is a film that really does pull the rug from under you several times. Stephen, you spoke to Ari Aster. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute gentleman. Really, um, nice. really nice guy. He would not expect yeah, it I know. Of a, after this film, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about some of his short films? Because this is his uh, debut feature, but he has made a name for himself with some short films. I'm thinking in particular Munchausen and The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. So I haven't seen Munchausen. I hear it's, I hear it's got a lot in common, actually, with Hereditary, but right. I have seen The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, and it's um, an incredibly disturbing film um, in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, it's still got this tension to it it's still got this kind of like ratcheting up of tension that he seems to really enjoy uh putting the audience through i think he always seems to have the audience in mind when he's making a film which is more than you can say for a lot of the directors these days but um he he the strange thing about the johnsons is a, a film about uh this uh, another secret that a family has mm -hmm. that in a way is 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 a little bit more disturbing than Hereditary on the surface level because it's uh, a more realistic kind of... Um, it's, it's a story about sexual abuse. It's a story about kind of like the, the ties that bind family together that are broken, snapped. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a cruel film in a lot of ways. But I think it's, you, can, you can tell that Ari Aster is uh, someone who's very, very much in control of his craft. And I think that's how he sees himself as a director as well. Um, and I think that it's so rare to get somebody like that into the horror genre so quickly. Um, but it seems to be happening more and more often these days. Um, and I think these short films like The Strange Thing About the Johnsons are a really good platform to like recognize new directors mm -hmm. coming up in horror. Um, and I think he's just been signed up by A24 for another horror film. Yeah. Um, so evidently, you know, he, yeah. this'll, I think this will be, this will be four in a row if you count his short films. Um, so maybe, you know, we've got a new kind of voice of, of horror um, in in the in the industry. Excellent. So, without further ado, then this is Stephen talking to writer director Ari Aster. Uh, thank you for joining us here today, uh, Ari. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a long a long press tour for you guys because uh, the film's getting quite ahead of steam right now. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been it's been, um, it's been exhausting, but it's been really gratifying. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, when you um, 
It's surprising to me because I've seen the film and it's kept me up for the last couple of days. So it's surprising that people still want to see it after all the kind of things that they're hearing about it, because it truly is quite a terrifying experience. Um, when you first started work on the project, did you envisage it as kind of getting this kind of buzz? Uh, I mean, you know, I, 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 I certainly fantasized about, you know, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think a lot of filmmakers, you know, that's how they get through it because it's so hard to make a film mm-hmm. and it, it, it takes so long. Yes. Um, and there's so much stress involved that sometimes you just, it's like, okay, you, you fantasize about, you know, people watching it and appreciating it and, and it, it gets you through. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but no, I, I would say, you know, it's been a really nice surprise, but it has been a surprise because we, we always knew that we were making something potentially alienating, mm-hmm. but, but something that ultimately, you know, a, a film whose primary primary aim was to upset the audience in a very yeah. deep way yeah yeah and yeah. so it's been nice to see that people you know are are uh, are into that yeah i think that's great that you're kind of very open about that um because it's when you first kind of uh, step into a horror film and like one like this you never quite know how scary it's going to be but i think from the first five minutes of this one you kind of know straight away that you're in for a bit of a an intense experience um and that's that's what i was really impressed by is that you kind of seem to have a knack for getting under the audience's skin as a director um do you think that that's something that you're gonna kind of stick with or do you think the horror genre is kind of a one and done thing for you well you know i i love the horror genre and i you know i i um when i was a kid especially you know 12 13 14 I was obsessed with horror films, and I would exhaust the horror section uh, of every video store I could find. <laughs> um, but I haven't been anything resembling a devotee for the last decade or so, and this I is see. because so many horror films are, you know, produced so cynically these days. Mm-hmm. And there are always exceptions, and there are, and there, and there, and there have been a lot of exceptions recently. For for me, the most notable one might be um, a brilliant South Korean film called The Wailing. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's it's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but then you know, but then. Let the Right One In, The Witch, mm-hmm. The Babadook. Um, I mean, these are really wonderful films. Oh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. But at the same time, I mean, what 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 distinguishes al- almost all of them is that they are also like honoring these older traditions. They are taking time. Um, they are they are making sure that the that uh, the films are, are are rooted in a place of character mm-hmm. and. That, mm-hmm. And um, and you know they're they're thematically rich and, and interesting and I, I, I um and that's that's nothing new I mean I my my favorite horror films would are, are probably Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. and Don't Look Now um, I see Hereditary as being sort of a, a spiritual cousin to Don't Look Now in a lot of ways um, I think that's really interesting actually because I was thinking as I was watching Hereditary that it does have this kind of genealogy with the kind of family horror film. Um, and that's Rosemary's Baby and Don't Look Now, both films that deal with the idea of family as a terrifying thing rather than as a warm, comforting thing. Right. As a, <laughs> as, yeah, as, you know, a, as a dangerous thing. Yeah, as a dangerous thing. And I think your, your short film, um, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, also dealt with family as well. Yeah. Um, so is that a theme that kind of appeals to you, making films about family and about the things that can go wrong within the family dynamic? Well, you know, I mean, I think just... Uh, as a dramatist, it's always it's like that. It's just it's just great fodder, um, because ultimately, you know, who are we closer to than the piece, than the people in our family mm-hmm. for the same reason? You mm-hmm. know, what what relationships are, are more insidious? Um, 
a betrayal in a you know in a family like a family member betraying somebody within that family i mean is is so much more devastating right than oh, absolutely. Than, than a friend betraying you mm-hmm. or even a lover mm-hmm. right and i think a big part of that is also because you know there there is no extricating yourself from family you can yeah. but ultimately those ties are 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 Im- impossible to sever in other ways yes because because in hereditary we have um obviously there is uh, a supernatural element to it but some of the kind of scenes that get under your skin the most are the scenes where uh, of things we don't see of things that have happened before in the family yeah. um between um between tony collette's character and her son and um i think that it's really important that a horror film such as this one kind of focuses not just on the kind of supernatural, that it goes a little bit deeper and it looks into how these dynamics have been working before all these kind of other things come along. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I even when I you know first started writing the film, I I had to investigate. Well, what does you know what what am I afraid of? And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not you know I'm not a particularly superstitious person. Mm-hmm. So the supernatural stuff doesn't really scare me either. Um, what scares me are like my 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 fears are more existential, and I do, and I do consider the film to be something of an existential horror film absolutely um, but 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 my fears are you know like uh are 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 things that really don't have any remedy mm-hmm. um like what do you do with a fear of death you either come to terms with it or you don't mm-hmm. um what do you do with the fear of abandonment like uh, or, or or the suspicion that you can't really ever really know anybody yeah, yeah, um yeah. which is true like you you well you can't i mean not 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 on some levels you know like you can't really know anybody else's experience um and so um and so i i ultimately wanted to make a film that was you know that sort of served as a serious me- meditation on grief and trauma while also you know um functioning as a i i hope a satisfying um genre exercise but um but in some ways i i think the um, uh, uh, the film owes a greater debt to the domestic melodrama than it does to the horror film, um, because this is a film that really is about um, suffering, and, it, and it's a film that really tr- hopes to take these characters' pain very seriously, and and um, it even it even hopes to uh, to honor um, the extreme emotions that these people are going through by yeah, ultimately yeah. being as big as them like the film is 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 expressionistic in that way and unbelievably so yeah Yeah. trying to match the feelings in the film in in its form which kind of like is is i I see now uh why you know looking at tony collette is it's kind of the perfect casting for that kind of film a melodrama that kind of seeps uh into horror um what was it like um getting tony on board for this how how difficult was it or was she like raring to go uh i mean really you know um we we sent her the script um and i attached a letter to it and she read it and she responded to it we met for lunch we got along and she attached herself um and you know and it was very clear i think you know i i i know that she knew right away because it was on the page just how demanding the part would be and she knew what was required of her and and um you know so she came on pretty quickly um we were shooting the film in you know less than a year after she came on um but um but really my you know my work as a director was really in in casting her because from there you know she knew what needed to happen and she mm-hmm. just do she dove in yeah you know, nose first um and so really you know i you know I, I can be kind of dictatorial in my blocking but emotionally i i really just got to stand at the monitor and, and be a fan and just 
watch her go. That's great. That's great because it, it is a fantastic performance, and um, I think you, it shows that she feels very comfortable with this script and comfortable with this character. And I think that's probably a lot down to the direction as well. So it's it's quite impressive. Okay, so the th- the first thing I want to talk about was the film as a horror film. So I wanted to ask, like, you know, obviously, Olive already said you're a big horror fan. I know, Stephen, I know you're a big horror fan. Are you up on horror, Steph? I, yeah, I yeah? try to watch it, even though it terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what kind of horror film is Hereditary? How much of a horror film is it? How, how sort of genre literate do you think the film is trying to be? It's definitely not what I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's far more intelligent. And it's far more, it's it's so well put together as, as, as you were referencing earlier. Like it's such an incredibly well-made film, which for, for the most part, you know, with, with a lot of horror films, like you can enjoy them. And as you, you know, we spoke about the jump scares and, and all that sort of stuff, but you don't necessarily go, wow, that was actually a really well-made film that you can kind of come away and go yeah. directing great, lead actress, great, supporting cast, great, like, and that's definitely what I came away with, with from Hereditary. Like, sure, I got scared. There was definitely a scene or two where I was watching it behind my hand. <laughs> but, like, it's it's also just so much more. And and I think the horror sometimes is grouped together as, like, a, a straight-to-DVD thing or it's it's not necessarily seen as, like, high art. Yeah. It's not necessarily seen as, like, the genre that you, you must go and watch. But like you only have to see five star reviews for this everywhere and kind of go, actually, maybe we should take this one a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, We're seeing a lot more of those now, though, right? Like, I think Hereditary is a film that it seems to be a, a, in this kind of peak moment of horror where it's existing. But I think it does owe a lot to films like The Witch. I think it owes a lot to films like The Babadook. Yes. Even though that's a yeah. film that I don't love, I think it, it does owe a lot to a film like The Babadook. Uh, and even stuff like It Follows as well, which this is kind of on a different level, I think, cinematically to something like It Follows. But um, these are all films, I think, horror films in the last five, six years, which have kind of taken that step towards telling people that the genre isn't dead mm-hmm. and that there are kind of young like auteurs that can really like dip their toes into the genre and bring something really interesting out of it. So Yeah, I think as well, um, until yeah, quite recently with kind of It Follows and The Witch and films like that, um, I feel like horror's been quite like an audience focused yeah. experience. Like, um I mean, yeah, it doesn't really get a lot of awards recognition, um, and it's maybe not as kind of critically well received but audiences it has a huge audience following but i feel like with yeah films like hereditary and some of these other kind of horror films that are starting to appear it's more of like yeah the director being like what can i do with this genre rather than how can i scare an audience absolutely. for an hour and yeah, a half yeah. yeah no that's absolutely right and i feel like this is the reason i say it's like at the peak is because i feel like this movie is going to do so well I'm seeing buzz for it everywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if this is what they intended, but um, I'm seeing articles on the BBC mm. um, referencing how scary this mm. film is. And, you know, if you get eyes like that. Uh, I, I think Tony Collette was on Graham Norton recently talking yeah. about the film. Yeah. Um, you get If you can get eyes like that on the film, I think horror has always been a genre that people will go to the cinema yeah. to see. They want that experience of seeing it in the cinema with other people. And it's because of that, this like visceral kind of experience of, of a horror film in a, in a uh, cinema environment that I think that we're seeing um, lots of film companies take bigger risks now with horror films and give people like Ari Aster for his debut feature this kind of exposure, this kind of money to go out and make something and it's paying off. The best experience of, of you know, the best thing about watching the horror films in the cinema 
is that moment where you, whether it's a jump scare or whether it's something a bit more subtle, like in Hereditary, where you can, there was definitely a moment in the screen that I went to where um, something happens and everyone jumps and then suddenly laughed. And like, that's a great moment in the cinema because it's a shared experience. It's like, I think of all the genres now, horror, definitely, you know, in terms of the, the high quality that is coming out now is probably i mean i would say it's one of the most fun things to watch in the cinema it's Absolutely. it really illustrates yeah. that like shared experience the darkened room um with a group of people who you don't know um and and you're all feeling and being put through the same emotional turmoil which you definitely feel with this film um i saw this in a uh, like a press screening and usually i think they're a little bit more they're a little bit quieter they're a little bit more tame they're a little bit more held back because they're you know they're there for work they're professional and I was thinking, oh, I wish I saw this for the first time with a, an actual audience that paid to see it. But even with this, there was still a lot of... Um... <gasps> I, was like, anyway, I could hear people going, oh, no. Things like that. And, yeah. and that, that nervous... There was a lot of nervous laughter in, for the film, actually. Mm. Um, even though I think the, the trailer makes this look like quite an austere film. But I do think there is a strange sense of like cackling fun a lot of the time. There's definitely some super dark humour in yeah. there, isn't there? Mm. I don't know if that was just my sense of <laughs> that was my sense of view, but I do think there is an element of kind of because things get quite at certain times quite ramped up, and I do think that made me kind of go, oh, okay, it's this kind of film. I think everything with uh, with Joan has a has a funny edge to it. Joan being a, a woman that that Annie. Tony so this is Anne Dowd's character. Yeah, Anne yeah. Dowd, who's an incredible actress. Yes. Everything with her, it, she plays it so well because she knows how almost stereotypical, stereotypically horror this yeah. character is. This yeah. kind of like strange older woman who's into the kind of mystical arts, as as far as I'll go. Yeah. Um, but she <laughs> plays it up and she hams it up so much and. Uh, I think Ari Aster is very clever to not let this become a, a, a self-serious film um, in that way. Like there are moments where as an audience you're thinking like, how far is this going to go? How how far are they going to take this? And they mm. keep pushing it and they keep pushing it. And there is that kind of like funny edge to that, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Like the whole time with, with the Andold character, with Joan, you're like, well, I mean, I was sat there being, and it's exactly what you're saying about what was happening in that press screening. I yeah. was like, to uh, to Annie Graham, to the Tony Collette character, I was like, no, don't, don't talk to her. Don't, don't get in her car. Don't go into her flat. Like, you, we all know what's going to happen, so, so don't do it. And if you've seen The Leftovers or The Handmaid's Tale, don't trust Andown. Never trust Andown. <laughs> um, but in a way, I think uh, we, we can laugh about that, but I think it kind of does illustrate how desperate and grief-stricken Annie is at that yeah. point in the film uh, after you know the, the the death of her mother and we kind of uh, you kind of get it and that's the sad part I think mm. of of, the, of her experience in the film is that all these mistakes that she does make that that horror characters make sometimes become kind of believable. I think this is why it for me like when I was watching it the biggest comparison or recent comparison because I know that obviously you know the reviews are talking about things like The Exorcist but for me the most recent comparison was The Babadook mm -hmm. so because it felt real and I honestly think that that's probably the thing that is the most scary mm. is you can take away as with any horror film or any film full stop but you can take you can strip out ghosts and ghouls and demons and whatever and, and you know but you but at the end of the day it's at its center a real something that emotion the emotions that they're feeling are real life they're things that people genuinely feel yeah um it's not all about ghosts and ghouls it, it's about something it's about the loss of of a, of a parent and and the trauma that follows 
And I think that that is what makes it so real. And for me, that was similar to the Babadook is that it's this incredible mother um, son relationship. Mm. And that was real. And the horror came from that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's what possibly when, when critics are saying this is the scariest film they've ever seen. And, and, you know, this is the scariest thing of the decade. It's probably that because it's because it's real. It's not necessarily all uh, all quote unquote the the horror stuff that we that you would expect. Mm-hmm. I think Tony Collette does really well to actually convey that emotion throughout the film. I think the film leans quite heavily on her to do a lot of the exposition. So in all these kind of um, group therapy kind of sessions that she sneaks off to, she gives a lot of backstory to like her family, her mother, and herself just through these kind of really like long running single shots of her face and her telling us about her life she does so well to like make it real and like bring the emotion to it yeah there's there's been some talk of a potential oscar campaign for tony collette uh it's very early to start talking about oscar campaigns but i think i think what's happened is after get out last year showed that not only a genre film but a horror film can make a big impact and that was at one point that was a sort of fa- almost favourite for Best Picture, which is a huge deal for a horror film. Uh, do you think Hereditary will have the same legs as Get Out? I know it probably won't be as it's not as audience friendly as Get Out, I suppose. I think I think the film won't. Um, okay, it's not as audience friendly, and it's 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 not got the same charm to it that Get Out had. Mm-hmm. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's an intense I mean, kind of hereditary experience. is not trying to be charming in <laughs> yeah, any way, shape, exactly. or form. <laughs> it's an intense experience. Not that Get Out wasn't, but this is like it it's it's a film that I think I'm I'm quite impressed that it's managed to kind of get into the mainstream in the way that it has so far. Um and I think Tony Collette's performance will, by the time the Oscars roll round, you can't ignore it. It's too uh it's it's it just stands on this amazing precipice between um melodrama and 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 horror and drama where you feel like she's sliding too far into the melodramatic sometimes and then she she reins it back in Mm. she pulls it back in and she's got these amazing facial contortions and expressions that she uses that i haven't seen uh on you know from an actor in a long long time it's it's a very naked like kind of performance the way that she uses her face she does not care one jot about how gruesome or grotesque or ugly she looks at yeah. some points in the film and i think um you can't ignore that when it comes around to oscar seasons because there'll be some clean performances that get nominated and hers deserves to be put against those to show like this is a different kind of performance yeah it's physical it's visceral you know? just like looking at the key images that are um being used for the film there's that one image which i think is the one that i've seen the most of of tony with like her and it's like the real extreme close-up to her face and her mouth's open and she's sweaty and crying mm. and it's like you very rarely see that full stop as a as a piece of, as a key image used for you know to promote a film. But also, it's it's not it's not any old actress. You know, it's Toni Collette. We mm. we all know her. She's been you know, she's been in amazing films uh, for for years now. Uh, maybe from a newer actress who's willing to take a bit more of a risk, you might see a, a shot like that being used. But it's actually really rare, I think, for for someone of of her stature. I'm all here for her being nominated for an mm. Oscar because it was an unbelievable performance. Yeah. Uh, best best female performance I've yet seen this year. Yeah, the, it's an interesting comparison between what she's doing here and what she did in The Sixth Sense as well because that's another kind of a horror film that kind of took people by surprise and became this massive hit and she's playing this sort of grief-stricken mother struggle, and her performance is very much between, you know, 
horror and melodrama and trying to combine these two to make it give herself like a realistic interaction with these supernatural forces and yeah i think she's knocked it out of the park i think she's incredible in this film as is Pete, alex charlie Wolf. oh alex you're Wolf. talking about peter yeah. yes yeah. Alex yeah, Wolf, yeah, yeah. who i think has been he's he's left out a lot of the marketing material for the film uh, he's been he's in the trailer a bit, but he's not been in any posters or anything. And I think he was one of my big surprises of the film. Not just about how much he's in it, but about how great he is in this. Mm. He probably, it seems to me as though he learned a lot from Tony Collette during the shoot. Uh, I see so much, I see so much physical acting from him in this film, whether it was Ari Aster's direction or, mm. or, or him taking this on board. But yeah, it's, it, it demands a lot from him. Um, and he's he he's he's very very good. I mean, it's hard to stand up next to someone like Tony Collette and hold your own. Yeah. I think he does. Um, and I, I I was yeah I was surprised by how much prominence he was given in the film because, like you said, he's yeah. been left mm. off the marketing quite a bit. The scene with him and her arguing at the dinner table. Oh yeah, is like for me that's like uh, Leland Palmer <laughs> and Twin Peaks, <laughs> like Fire Walk with Me, family issues. Yeah. Like that was just the most brilliant. I think it's one of the best scenes in the film, and it and it <clears throat> pardon me, it illustrates like that melodramatic edge mm-hmm. as well. It's mm-hmm. it, it's a family drama. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a straight out horror film. You know? and, and yeah, that scene was just unbelievable with, between the two of them. Um, I think that works really well in the film's favor because you have all of this. Um, family drama and you have all of this stuff to cling on to and it is quite a slow burner but it takes all that time to build up this family and these characters that we get to know really well and then that pays off so well in the third act because we actually care about who Mm. they are Mm. and they're not just kind of like teenagers running around being murdered or i don't know yeah but um yeah like something that actually gives you something to cling on to makes it scarier you're right maybe that's the kind of way that um this auteur driven horror cinema is going and that it's just so character focused Mm -hmm. Mm. and it is a massive change from from the 80s and maybe the early 90s when it was very much kind of bodies to be killed Mm. that's what we thought was scary even the early 2000s with the torture type torture porn movies Mm -hmm. um they were bodies to be killed on screen that was that was the fear and i think you know, back in the 70s, it wasn't like that. I think we're getting to that point now again. I think you're right, where it's mm. it's very, very character-focused and it's scarier, it's all the scarier for it. Yeah, I think if you can see something of yourself in one of the characters on screen, that mm. is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. And you mentioned uh, little Charlie back there, uh, who's played <laughs> by Molly Shapiro, uh, introducing Molly Shapiro, she's credited as, so this is her first big role. Yeah, she. I was reading she played Matilda on stage, <coughs> which which really impressed me mm. i thought that's such yeah. a different role to what she's playing here yeah she's got such a presence in this film and i'm terrified of her <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's she's she she joined the uh the kind of legendary creepy kids yeah on screen um she's totally in control of her performance um yeah. for such a young actor she reminded me a little bit and it's it's only i'm just trying to find the name now but um millicent simmons the girl who, from um a quiet place Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. little girl in a quiet yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Who again? Like, I mean, the characters are completely different, but just in terms of being an absolutely standout part of the film and just being like an amazing actress at such a young age and really like standing against like you know in a quiet place, but also like with Hereditary, like standing against Gabriel Byrne and and Tony Collette. Like yeah. these are not these are not small actors, uh, and you really want to watch her mm-hmm. you know you really want to see what's going on also she's so creepy like yeah. from the second you <laughs> see her she is like the creepiest thing ever she's like it's it's got that um that kind of gothic 
that like old school gothic thing that like Christina Ricci used to have or something yeah. like that. Like it was just like you know there's something weird about her. Yeah, but Christina Ricci, she was like my crush as a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, so we've spoken about a few of the uh, the influences on the film, um, you've, and you've talked about it a bit as well. Both uh, all of us actually about this kind of old old school like sixties seventies American horror filmmaking. So we've mentioned The Exorcist numerous amounts of times. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, I think, is another one. The Babadook, I think, as well, is a big influence. Weirdly enough. Paranormal Activity Three. Has anyone seen Paranormal I Activity? I saw the film. I, have, yeah. I haven't. Go on. What, what did you think to Paranormal Activity Three? Um, I do. It did remind me a little yeah. bit, just in the kind of payoff at the end. Um, but that was more fun to watch as a yeah. group. I think I watched that at uni in a house, and then had to walk home in the dark, and it was horrible. <laughs> but, um, similar in the kind of family. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. yeah, what happened at the end? I'm trying to think of a, of a horror film that's gained traction in the last. In the last ten years, that hasn't been about family. To be honest, yeah. I'm thinking about things like Raw, yeah, you know, I'm the thinking, Witch, yeah, the Witch. They're all they all and they all contain great, great child performances as mm. well. Um, and so, of course, so did The Exorcist. Um, Rosemary's Baby, not so much. Um, and Don't Look Now, not so much. I think they were very adult focused, but they were still yeah. very much about family. Yeah, Don't Look Now was a, yeah, mm. yeah. There are a lot of references to Don't Look Now, apparently, according to Ariasta. Did you see any red jackets? I didn't see any yeah, red jackets. I was to think what they yeah. could be. But but I mean, he he obviously during the interview talked about all of his influences, and he also talked about how he'd watched, um, how he'd been into horror from a very young age. And I think that's imp- I, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, it was the same for me. Absolutely, it was kind of yeah. one of my kind of. Uh, entranceways into cinema was through horror because yeah. it was kind of easier to watch I guess in a way and it was easier to kind of get what the filmmakers were doing with horror because it's such a kind of singular experience yeah something within the film itself that I noticed that the way certain shots are framed they're very wide and there's so much going on in them uh, I've seen some people on Twitter comparing it to like how a Baroque painting mm-hmm. showing whether you like have so many different points of focus so much happening at once that your eye there's too much for your eye to take in at once so the shots seem to really linger in this film 
And I think uh, it goes back to what you were saying, Steph, at the beginning about how there aren't any, there aren't really jump scares in this film, mm. and that the shot, the frame is inviting you to stay with it rather than look away. I know you want to look away, but you're also searching. Uh, there's one moment in particular where it's looking at something for a really lo long time. It takes your eyes a while to focus on what is actually going on in the background. And that was when, um, <coughs> excuse me, that was when I heard people go, oh, no. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, God. Quite oh, near okay. the start of the film, was that? No, it's just towards the end. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I think somebody in my screening uh, dropped a wine glass and <laughs> 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 they realised what was going on. But yeah, I think that's really one of the strong points of the film is that it kind of, it, it kind of reflects when you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're looking around your room and you kind of, you see kind of shapes in mm. stuff. It's not there, but it's like you see a coat on the back of the door and you're like, what is that? Yeah, Who's yeah, in my yeah. room? Um, but yeah, it definitely plays on that, that kind of experience that probably everybody has had of, yeah, just like trying to see things in shadows mm. and you're not sure if it's there or not. I've subsequently read quite a lot of, well, I tried not to read many reviews before seeing the film, mm -hmm. but then having read a couple of people afterwards um, from all over the world who have seen it. And a lot of people have said on a second viewing, mm. it's probably scarier because oh, you kind God. of know a little bit about like what's yeah. going on. So you're not kind of just thrown into it a little bit. But it's, as you say, like you actually have a bit more to explore. You're not just trying to see what Tony Collette's doing or, you know, you're trying to see like what's in the background a little bit more and, and you're trying to piece it together and also like pick up the pieces along the way because if you think back on it like it's it's such, i said it before like it's such an intelligent film like it 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 never not tells you what's going on but you don't necessarily realize you're being told all these elements until mm. you've got to the end yeah so i reckon like, i mean i'd love to watch it a second time and be like yeah. oh wait actually no do you know what? i miss that like that's mm. really obvious now but actually like and i think that's what that that's what really makes it and those yeah. those shots are like they they're so layered there's so much in them like how deep each shot is like how right, the, yeah. the, the the frames themselves they just go so far back and and i think it has a lot to do with the house and that location is the most brilliant location like yeah. when you when you first see it from the outside and you're like oh it's just like a house in the middle of the woods we've never seen this before but actually like they use it so well because it's not just like it's not just used as a device for them to be out by themselves. There's actually stuff hidden everywhere along the way in all the different layers. I know I'm using my hands to illustrate and no one can see <laughs> on rate on uh, podcasts what I'm actually illustrating, but like there's just so much in all the shots. Yeah. And, and I think that's, as we said, we've said it several times, like it's a director who genuinely understands the form mm -hmm. so yeah. well. Oh, absolutely. What did we think of this kind of, this motif of um, uh, Annie's um, like, doll house houses what do we think of that how did that play in i i loved that i think it, it starts to kind of mix in every now and again they'll do these kind of tilt shift shots where you're not sure if you're looking at a miniature mm -hmm. or if you're looking at the real like the real house yeah. or the real thing and there's so many good kind of cross-section shots of i think it's when they like bury her mother and it like yeah, it, goes it goes down, down. And you see it like go down underground and it just feels like you're looking at a miniature for mm. the whole film like, yeah you could be yeah, it could be all happening in like one miniature house. Um, that was the moment for me with the grave where I thought, oh, this film's be like this is doing something different here. Like, yeah, this mm. is a this is actually going to be really interesting to see how they do this. Yeah, mm. I actually found the miniatures like probably part like one of the scariest elements of the film. <laughs> like I don't know whether it's just like me. Like I don't know if dollhouses scare me or something. Maybe that's something I've just discovered about myself. <laughs> but like there was um, one of the miniatures where. Um, 
I'm assuming it must be her mother is standing in the doorway. Yeah. And um, and they're in bed, but it's a miniature. I was expecting at any point for something to happen, like yeah. some, some big, I don't know, a jump scare. But I was expecting it. And even though I was expecting it, I knew I was still going to jump out of my seat. <laughs> and I was still just like watching that scene behind my hand, just being like, this is horrifying. Yeah. But it's the tension because there's no talking over the top. There's no, you know, you're really given that time to look and mm. watch and just wait. Mm. And I think those shots where she's working so closely on the miniatures as well, because it's so tightly framed and you're just looking at that one thing, I feel like you expect her to look up and someone's going to be standing in front of her yeah. or something yeah. like that. So yeah, you're constantly on edge looking at these tiny miniatures thinking the rest of the world is behind you what's happening it's very true or, or they're going to move i was expecting one of them to move at some point <laughs> i know that's from that's from a different horror film clearly um but because it lingers on them for so long you're thinking oh the mum the mum figures want to like move or it's going to smile or something but it doesn't it's almost worse that it doesn't because yeah. then you're like you said earlier you're left without this release mm-hmm. and the tension's just passed over to the next scene mm. yeah there's also this nice mirroring between the dollhouse and what's happening to the family in that they're not they're not in control of what happens in their house and there's someone there's an outside force that's moving things around and doing things to them and this and that so it's a nice nice kind of parallel that did ruin um paddington for me to be honest though do you know when they have the oh, doll's house yeah in yeah yeah can't look at dioramas anymore <laughs> they were always creepy I'm, I'm with ollie on this one <laughs> ban doll houses <laughs> okay so we haven't talked about uh gabriel byrne uh, at all so he plays steve who is uh, the father of the family and he's got a really interesting role actually because he's i think there's something like because he doesn't have he doesn't share in the their bloodline so he's kind of sort of almost an outsider in his own home and i think that that come, comes across really well i thought and he's got a, quite an interesting role and i know it's kind of a it plays on this kind of tradition that it's it's often the female character is convinced they're a ghost and the male character is the voice of reason and this still has that but it does something quite interesting with it i thought yeah i i I really like gabriel uh, byrne as an actor um and i was i think his his presence in the film is really interesting because of his stature as an actor and because of the fact that he's very involved in this story that's going on yeah you expect him to have a bigger part in it and uh it's kind of off-putting and scary and horrifying when he doesn't um, to me, like I feel like he's he is a good audience surrogate. I feel yeah. for this film in that you're you want him to be okay. You know what I mean. You yeah. want him. He's the one that's trying to lead this family in the right direction, and he doesn't understand what they're going through. He doesn't understand what the other members of the family are going through in the same way that we don't as well. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's an interesting piece of casting for me, and it's an interesting piece of of, of acting for Gabriel Byrne because. In some ways, I think it's a thankless role. Yeah. But he does it really yeah. well. <laughs> like, he does it exactly how he should. So I was really interested with his character because, well, I mean, like, I really like Gabriel Byrne, and I think that he doesn't get credit where credit's due sometimes, mostly because I don't think he does many, quote-unquote, you know, big things. No. He, doesn't, he doesn't do big characters. He doesn't do big films. He does a lot of television. But there was small... There was small mo- he's so subtle in the film, and he's so softly spoken throughout the whole film as well. And, like... There's a moment really near the beginning of the film when they come home from the funeral and um, they all walk into the house and he tells the whole family, make sure you take your shoes off. And there's like those slight OCD moments Mm. throughout the film, which I maybe, I don't know, maybe I thought that they were going to come of something, like maybe that was going to suddenly reveal something major. But 
they don't and i really like yeah. that there's just this like subtle character that's just kind of almost being taken it's exactly as you say like he's not he's a sorry he's a great surrogate for us because he's being taken on the same journey that we're mm. all being taken he's not for the most part standing about screaming and shouting and he's not getting involved in in ghouls and and hanging out with Anne dowd's character which no one should ever do as we <laughs> have decided on this podcast um but like he, but but he always comes back there's never a moment where he's not involved in yeah in the story and and i think that like it's just that small subtlety that just grounds it all a little bit and it, and adds again adds to that melodramatic yeah. feel uh you know it's a family it's mm. I hate to say this, but it's like, you know, it's 2.4 children. It's, it's quote, un yeah. it's quote unquote, mummy and daddy and, and kids. But it's, but it's, it's, it grounds it a little bit mm -hmm. and makes it something that you can go, you can see yourself in. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It needs him. The film needs He's him. definitely there to kind of um, highlight how unusual maybe the rest of his family is behaving. <laughs> um, there's kind of little bits and pieces where Tony Collette will go to do something and he'll be like, what are you doing? <laughs> How many times does she go to the cinema? Yeah. Like, yeah. By herself? She's like... a real movie buff. <laughs> never asks her, yeah. like, what did you see? No. Never <laughs> says to her, what did you see? You know? Uh, so this uh, this film is uh, an A24 film. And I think they've got a real um, name for themselves in general, but in like this kind of art horror film, if we can call it art horror. Last year they had It Comes at Night, which I loved. Year before that, they had The Witch, and now they've got Hereditary. And Hereditary went further than what it was predicted to do opening weekend in America last week. And as we've all been saying, it's been everywhere. It's been talked about everywhere. This could be huge. Do you think this is a real... We're now fully... Do you think this is like the peak of um, this kind of new form of horror? It's going, to, it's going to continue for years. I think we're not assessing horror films by just how scary they are mm -hmm. anymore. It's about like the way that it's crafted and put together. And if Hereditary is kind of an example of that and becomes big, then I hope it makes more horror mm. films like that. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a new Robert Eggers film coming out from we the do. director. The, li the Lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, got... which is A24 as well. Yeah. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Mm -hmm. Black mm -hmm. and white. Sounds great. On it, they're calling yeah. it a, a black and white dark fantasy horror film on wikipedia so uh we've got that we've got uh obviously jordan peele's working on his film us that's mm -hmm. coming out um which is going to be i think is that still blumhouse that are releasing that? that's blumhouse yeah. Indeed, yeah um so i mean we, we've there's a future there already set in yeah. stone i mean raw julie durkin now i think yeah. she's i think she's working on another horror film at the moment right. as well um so i mean i i can't see it going away anytime soon i think that's probably got something to do with the current state of politics and the world around mm -hmm. us i think horror has definitely have a, had a history of moving in time with politics yeah uh in a lot of ways and i think that right now we're seeing this kind of like um normalcy being torn apart it's, yes it seems to be something yeah. from that, within the family yeah from within space. the family yeah. unit from within the rec recognizable society yeah. we're seeing like some hideous kind of uh thing invading and pulling people apart and i think that's the way that horror is headed and there's so much that you can play around with mm. uh, in that regard and i think that's really exciting absolutely so that is hereditary which comes out today friday the 15th also out today we have uh, the happy prince so this is a biography about the last days of oscar wilde uh, played in the film by rupert everett who directs here for the first time uh, the film also stars Colin Firth, Emily Watson, and Tom Wilkinson, and we sent Kelly Powell to speak to Rupert Everett. 
Okay, so welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We're here to talk about your new film, The Happy Prince, yes. which chronicles the last years of Oscar Wilde's life. It does. So I know that this has been a long uh, project in the making for you. Uh, over 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, can you talk about uh, what compelled you? What What about the story compelled you to tell it? And, and maybe what about Oscar Wilde sort of resonates with you as a filmmaker and as an actor? Well, um, first of all, when I started doing it, I didn't realise it was going to take 10 or 11, <laughs> actually probably even more than 12 years from beginning to end. And, I, and so I don't know whether I would have... Uh, done it if I'd known uh, how long it was going to take. But originally, when I started out, I was just trying to write myself a role uh, that was really good and very showy and uh, and something that I felt maybe people would want to see me in. Um, I wasn't getting so much work uh, in those days. It was the roles I was getting were smaller and smaller and more and more boring in things. And uh, I could see... I was kind of fading out, and um, so I decided to take the law into my own hands and write a script. Uh, so I wrote it, not really with any idea of myself directing it, um, but the first director who I'd written it for uh, fell out, and then uh, the list of... I wrote, contacted about six or seven other directors, uh, and it took me so long to get... A, a negative answer out of all of them, but two more years, I gave up. And then I thought, well, it's dead a script if you don't make it. Uh, it d doesn't mean anything. So I decided to make it myself. Uh, and then it took another eight years, really, or to get off off the ground. Wow, that's ages. Mm. Um, and what? A, why did you choose to focus on his final years? What about you know? What about these years? The sort of fall from grace that that intrigued you? Well. Um, Initially, because uh, I, the, the, the other three films about Oscar Wilde, uh, one by uh, starring Robert Morley as Oscar Wilde, the other starring Peter Finch, and the other starring uh, Stephen Frears, Firth, Stephen, um, Stephen Fry, sorry. What am I doing? I'm going crazy. It's all right. <laughs> My brain's going to give it it's up. It's all right. <laughs> they all stop yeah. uh, when he goes into prison. And I thought, oh, well, that's really for me the part where it gets interesting and um, uh, for me the image of Oscar Wilde in Paris in the end of the 19th century uh, dying in a cheap hotel room um, begging for drinks on the boulevard this fallen star living in the gutter but looking at the stars and uh, it just is one of the most romantic uh, stories in, in that I can think of mm. so that was really the reason okay um, and you've called your, your film The Happy Prince, which is uh, after the title of a short story yes. that he wrote for children. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to ask, in your opinion, how the story connects with you know, Oscar Wilde's life and, and maybe death? Well, first of all, there's a theme of children through the, through the film. Um, the film starts with him remembering uh, drunk, um, sitting at a table uh, in, a, in, a, in a boulevard bar. He remembers reading to his children at night in London many years ago and he's reading them The Happy Prince and uh, so this reading of the story then goes on to include two boys that he meets on the street in Paris and he kind of he takes them over he's having an affair with the eldest one who's a kind of 20 year old guy and his younger brother who's 
about eight or nine, he reads, he makes these stories up and he, he tells the story of the Happy Prince to him. And so that story runs through the film. And I called it The Happy Prince because I think in a way that Oscar was in, in some sense the Happy Prince as he stumbled around Paris, always seen, you know, in the mist, walking somewhere on his own a lot, but um, always in a good humor, funnily enough, always making jokes still, always laughing. Um, I think he, he was humorous till the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about the structure of your film, because to me it felt like it unraveled in almost like a fever dream. Um, you know, delirious uh, recollections of a man on his deathbed. Um, and I wanted to know, was why did you choose to tell the story in that way and perhaps what you wanted the audiences to take from that? Well, in a way, the story takes place in about 14 days. Uh, a man uh, is sitting in a bar, he meets a woman, she gives him five quid, he goes out and gets drunk, he falls off a table and goes to bed, has an operation on his eardrum that mm -hmm. splits, and then dies. So it mostly takes place in this bedroom, uh, which kind of expands mm -hmm. and shrinks uh, with his memories and his ramblings. He's on morphine, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he starts, as his brain kind of starts to crumble, he's reevaluating the past, really. So it goes back and forth from the bed. And, uh, and he's going through his exile and seeing where it went wrong or what happened to it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it is like a feverish, it's a morphine dream in mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. Um, okay, so the film doesn't feel at all like a generic biopic uh, in any way. Mm. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, especially, you know, the films that we often see coming out of the US that have a particular structure to it. Mm. Um, and in fact, it's, it's felt to me decidedly European. So I wanted to ask, as a first-time director, what your influences were for this film. Um, well, um, when I was putting it together initially, I would joke and say I'd like it to have a Visconti meets CCTV uh, aesthetic. <laughs> um, and I was very affected by the films of um, a, a Belgian couple called the Dardenne Brothers, Dardenne mm -hmm. Brothers, and they use a lot of handheld uh, camera work and also they follow characters mm -hmm. uh, and and I like the notion of uh, the camera what happens at the beginning of my film is uh, Oscar Wilde looks up into the camera at the very beginning and says it's a dream mm -hmm. and then he gets up and the camera follows him but what I'm hoping not to sound too wacky but um, he establishes a relationship with the camera and the camera then becomes a kind of observer mm -hmm. and follows him you do feel that. Uh, mm. it, it follows him down into this feverish world where we watch him, you know, the, the end of his, it follows him down into Hades, really. And, um, and so that was, um, and the Darden brothers have this amazing trick of filming people's backs and not their fronts. And this is a fantastic thing. And um, it was Andrea Arnold copied them, and I'm copying them both. Um, and uh, it's very effective. Yes. Um, and so a lot of the time I'm, I'm staying on Oscar's back, following him, going with him uh, mm -hmm. into the next part of the adventure. Amazing. So what was it like to direct yourself in this lead role that, that you, know, you, you resonate with so, so deeply? Oh, um, I really enjoyed working with me as a director. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I mean, yes, I'm not being you? just funny, but yeah. I did. Okay. I felt that um, uh, because I gave myself a lot of attention in the edit mm -hmm. uh, and I made my performance a lot better. <laughs> uh, 
And so I very much appreciated that on behalf of me, the actor. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, um, I think if I ever had a piece of advice to give to an actor is uh, make sure the director loves you. <laughs> because if the director doesn't like you, he's not ever going to bother to go through every moment of your bit of film and see if he can bring out the best bit of the, f the film. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, you can do so much with an actor's performance in the edit. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. And, and as an actor, was it important uh, for you to play <coughs> Oscar, you know, unsentimentally? Sort of, uh, kind of, because you do get like a sort of real sense of who he was, you know, you're not scared to show his flaws as well as well, his genius. I think his flaws are the things that I find the most touching about him because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're the flaws that all human beings have really. Mm. Uh, and so I think he's, he's, a, he's a typical human. Uh, I, think, I think he's quite an emotional character in it. I just uh, mm. I don't, I don't, didn't want it to be, you know, uh, like a Walt Disney film mm -hmm. in yeah. a way. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so... Oscar Wilde uh, hugely valued the, the role of art in society. Um, and I wanted to ask you if you can maybe talk about your ideas around this and perhaps uh, is it important for you to have a message with your filmmaking? Um, I think um, messaging is quite scary because it's rather patronizing uh, to, to have a message. I feel that filmmaking really is about your own passion about a subject and you just do it because you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're trying to second guess or to, f um, to mold it into a, um, a manipulation that kind of manipulates a response from mm. people, I find that's a lot of what modern cinema is about in a way. You know, it's about focus grouping uh, things and trying to make uh, films work for a certain group of uh, my mythical people. Uh, and I think that's very not really very creative. I think um, the kind of world that I was brought up in or became a young, became when the world that I became first aware of cinema in was a much smaller world in which... <coughs> you heard about the new film by Fellini or the new film by Truffaut or the new this or the new that. And you went to see that because you were interested in what they were thinking, mm. uh, not, what, uh, not some marketed uh, piece of processed celluloid mm. uh, that, is, that some you know, focus groups have decided is what people want to see. Yeah. So I don't know about a message to my film. The, the, the only message I can think of is that I have an enormous fascination and, and affection for Oscar Wilde. To me, in my life, particularly as a gay man working in a rigorously heterosexual world, mm -hmm. Oscar to me is a great source of inspiration. Um, I, all I can hope uh, is that that inspiration somehow goes across the footlights mm -hmm. and into the hearts of the audience. But I, uh, beyond that, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to patronize my audience into, into trying to think that I'm the person to give them messages. That's fair. I mean, the only message is try and go and see the film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should go see the film. It's go and see good. the film. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so in closing, um, you can tell that this is a passion project. Obviously, it's come from your heart and, and it comes across on screen, both in your performance as, and in your direct direction. Um, but have you got anything else in the pipeline as a, the 
Yes, director, I've got really millions of millions of millions other things, of but um, I'm I'm also um, a realist, and maybe I'm too old. Maybe this is a one-off. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yes, I do have millions of plans. Uh, new horizons have suddenly appeared before me, and I want to jump back on my old pony and gallop off yeah. into the distance. Particularly as a director. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, and as a director of me. <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> that's great. <laughs> because I feel I've got a lot more. Um, potential as an actor than I've ever had with any other director that's amazing <laughs> I love that only because I don't think any other director liked me very much no. one did PJ Hogan adored me but so many directors really? didn't like me and I feel Rude. like actors when they go to see films quite often they say to each other this is a very normal conversation why did you choose that bit it was so do you remember that other bit and we all go yes it, you were so good in that bit and when you really? come to the edit yourself you can see how that happens um did you have to separate yourself, though, as like, were you looking for particularly uh, the best take or were you looking for what worked in the sort of grander scheme of the thing, you know? Looking for the best take and what yeah. was uh, the best for the character. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can and also you can you can jig it around to such an extent that you can make everything so much better. Yeah. And um, and. So I would love to have another chance to work with me again as a director, just to, you know, because I think I could do some other things that were also surprising. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you get the opportunity thank to do that. Much. Thank you very much. I do Thank you so much for your time. Thank and your you very much. Um, and we hope to see you again. Yes, see you at the Curzon. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. That was great. Okay, so that's Happy Prince, which is out today on Friday the 15th. But if you feel like staying home this weekend on Curzon Home Cinema, we'll also be getting Dark River, uh, Clio Barnard's film, uh, which we spoke about on the podcast a few months ago now. So do go back and check out that episode where I spoke to Clio Barnard. Uh, but to tie into Hereditary, Curzon Home Cinema has a new collection called Scary As F Star Star Star. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so this collection includes Suspiria, uh, the Dario Argento original. Uh, did everyone see the Suspiria trailer? I did. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I was a big skeptic of that if film, new film existing, but after this trailer I think I'm, I'm a little bit it more looks, excited. It looks so grainy and nice. Yeah, it looks different. And, it, and if you haven't seen the original, go go and watch yeah. it. Like seriously, go and watch it. Uh, yeah. On the best sound system and screen that you can. That's yeah. a phenomenally weird film. Yeah. 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 Uh, also on there is Audition, Takashi Miike's film, uh, just as horrible as Hereditary. <laughs> uh, it Follows, which we spoke about earlier, American Psycho, Let the Right One In, The Blair Witch Project, A Bay of Blood, Goodnight Mommy, and The Babadook. So a great collection. Sounds like a good weekend. Yeah. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, uh, if you have any thoughts on Hereditary, uh, do let us know, or The Happy Prince, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show. And as ever, please subscribe, leave a review or comment. We're available every Friday on iTunes and Acast. So that's goodbye from Steph. Goodbye. Goodbye from Stephen. Bye-bye. And goodbye from Ollie. Goodbye. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Scott all back into your corner now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ceiling's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.